0: Hey everyone. Welcome to Disrupting Our Practice. I'm Shannon Patterson.
1: And I'm Greg Flynn. This podcast is for white-bodied leadership and organization development consultants, facilitators, coaches, and trainers.
0: This is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exploration of how we practitioners can disrupt our practices. Those practices where we are unwittingly perpetuating racism, oppression, and harm. And it's all in service to being able to co-create a culture of equity, justice, and healing. So we live in a world that truly works for everyone.
1: Thanks for joining us as we work to disrupt our practice. Hi, Shannon. Hey, Greg. So we had a guest and we had a technical issue.
0: We sure did. Gosh darn it, which meant that I was not able to participate and the great conversation that you and Aaron had.
1: Yeah. And it really, I think it it actually bummed both of us out. Um, and knowing that, you know, and I mean, when I say both of us, I mean Aaron and I, and um, I imagine yourself as well. Uh, yeah. Like, very I, much. I know that you could have only contributed to the conversation. Um, that said, the energy right at the beginning was so, so much from Aaron. Mm-hmm. um it's hard to uh contain him sometimes so i just wanted to keep going and i think we did yeah. get a we had a really great chat
0: yeah i'm well i'm so glad you did i mean i was definitely very bummed to to miss it and uh i always love time with aaron i don't get enough and he's super busy so i'm glad y'all just went ahead it happens yeah. so yeah yeah yeah
1: well hopefully Thank that you. won't happen again and i know aaron will, wants to come back soon so we'll have him back on and you'll get a chance to connect with him and Everybody here gets to meet Aaron. Um, so uh, enjoy the conversation that him and I had.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. And thanks for acknowledging that, Greg, that you know I wasn't there and uh, why <laughs> that was. And everybody enjoy. And we'll see you next time or I'll see you next time.
1: Sounds good. Enjoy. Hello, Aaron. Hey. Okay. So glad to have you joining us.
2: So good to be with you all.
1: I think we've, we've um, mentioned your name probably at least once in every episode. So, mm. uh, and we definitely have talked about holistic resistance. So mm. Aaron Johnson from holistic resistance. Um, and it occurs to me right now, we didn't do any kind of like, how do you want to be introduced? So I'm going to, I'm going to just do my little best here and then you can fill in gaps. Great. Um So we're, yeah, we're thrilled to be joined by our teacher, our mentor, our friend, Aaron Johnson, co-founder of Holistic Resistance with his, your cousin, Portia Bede, and, um, you're an African heritage man who comes to us from the high deserts of Southern California. And you are a, you are a lot of things. You are a teacher, you are an artist. You're a a speaker, and in in so many ways, I think you know. I understand your in your background being almost raised to be a pastor, to coming from a lineage of pastors, and so um, bringing forward that kind of energy, um, and your um, you know your way of holding this, as I've observed, it is very much about you know holding anti racism work as being. A, a, a project of reaching and a project of, of, um, connecting. So you, we met because you were facilitating space for white bodied folks. And, you know, one of the, one of the first, uh, African heritage people I've encountered who was very intentionally holding space in that way, doing that labor. And, um, so I've, I've experienced you as, you know, in this very powerful way and learned a lot from you. Yeah. Is there anything about your, about your positionality or about your background that you would want to,
2: um,
1: uh, bring forward into this?
2: Yeah. I'd love that. I'm, I'm looking over here at this image of my grandfather who just died like maybe a year ago, maybe mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, he was 96. This is World War II military regiment, and segregated, all Black folks. They were segregated mm. in this battalion. I think it's a battalion, not a military person. Um, and I just, I just have him here on my right-hand side. Maybe at some point I might just bring him over and let you all see him. It's a bunch of men, but mm. I can kind of hold him up to get the vibe of what I'm looking at. But I just want to bring in my ancestors here. Mm. I am the son of Alice Chandler Johnson. I'm the son of Travis Johnson. They both are pastors here at the Church of God. Um, And I would say if any two people shape me uh, as as we know them Mm. today, I would say my mother and father. I don't say it lightly. Yeah, I don't don't necessarily even see eye to eye on um, all the things, but I look at my speaking. I look at how I hold myself. I look at my my nervous system. I look at my um, focus. I look at how I um, hold my energy. Um, Mm. Mother and father critical. And I'm the middle of five. So I'm the, I'm the, um, there's two above me and two under, I'm a true five. And so that's what I name too. My mother raised an amazing sibling circle around me. Mm-hmm. So that's my name. Mm-hmm. That's not on my resume. It's not on my bio per se, but when you talk about who I am, um, those need to be named. Mm-hmm. And I will say too, and I will maybe we'll touch on this later in the podcast, but I will say that I realize as I'm kind of breaking down who I am, that mm-hmm. the hundred percent of who I am that we know today was shaped built grown uh uh prayed over meditated on all with unrested labor my dad didn't have a break my grandfather didn't have a break my grandmother my dad side, and my mom said to have a break my mother mm-hmm. didn't have a break my dad died with his shoes on the last thing he was doing was working he died mm-hmm. working he never had a break i remember i remember and I was getting into the podcast that's my name i remember going in because it's it a really tragic moment i'm just grieving that he died november 20th they were still in november when in December, I, was, I just was doing a rehearsal of that death process, and I remember because I was when I discovered his body, and I say, in that kind, con- i remember going to the house, and I go into my mother, and I don't know how if you all ever told news of like your loved one that you've been married to for 35 years is now dead. I don't know if anyone's ever done that, but I did that to my mother. I was devastated. I told my mother, and then the words I used was, "Daddy is dead," and what I want to name is she screamed. My mother screamed like you would when you lose someone. She screamed for about two minutes straight. And what I will say is she stopped and she said, we were going to take a break when he retired. Hmm. There's no break. Hmm. So I look at that context. That is unrested labor. He died at 59 years old, very young.
3: Yeah.
2: But they were waiting to take a break. Now people might say, well, you gotta take a break all the time. But I just want to say they didn't have options. They had five kids raised poor and they were pouring everything into us. They had no options. At a small church they were preaching over and black carnage everywhere, they had no break. But I just want to name that they had a, she had an idea that someday she'd get that break and she didn't get it. I name it because that, that sticks with me as I'm writing about the unrested labor. So when I look at my my bio, this is not my bio either. I just want to name that I am shaped by unrested mm-hmm. labor. And so I'll say mm-hmm. it's an honor to be with you, Greg. I remember the first time I met you, and we were in the workshop because you're very tall and people know you, you're very tall, big presence in the room. <laughs> You're teaching, you're teaching white folks. You always track the tall white men in the room. You're like, who, what's going on? <laughs> and your presence was not always welcome, but it was very skillful. And I do remember after the workshop, you and Shannon finding me and chatting briefly. Now, I I mm-hmm. y'all stayed in my mind. I just remember like the backpack, y'all's movements, how you're moving. I just remember your vibes. And so I just want to name that. It's so good to be with you. Now mm-hmm. here we are probably at least four years from that event, maybe five. And I think it's four. We have one more year. I said, let's reach for the next five years. So I've got another year to reach for you um, to fulfill that, <laughs> that reach. And I know we'll be on that. But I just want to name that that's, um, who I am. Yeah. I'm so honored to be with your audience. I hope they know how much I love them, and I don't even know them yet. But if you bump into me in a workshop or in the future, I'm traveling, know how much I already love that you're putting your attention towards this topic, and you're taking the time mm. to be on this podcast and give your ever, ever rare and scarce attention, that I'm mm. glad that you hear my voice, and I feel honored in that context. So That's who I am. That's where I'm mm. at, and I feel mm. checked in. And uh, thank you for just inviting me to share those those nitbits of stories before we get into the of course, I thought that's a of right there, but I'll just say before we get into any more questions, that's why I just want to thank you for letting me uh, share what's on my heart right now.
1: So, this the name of this podcast, right, is Disrupting Our Practice. Mm. And you, you know, and, and what that's about, right, is the primary audience for this is people who are organization development coaches facilitators consultants trainers and then also you know really kind of anybody who's facilitating or holding space white-bodied folks right who are in the in these positions and and, and you know when Shannon and I were talking about this it was really about like how do we disrupt our own practice that's so embedded in in, um, in elements of white supremacy and in patriarchy and in all of the things all of these um, uh, structures and systems that are, um, oppressive and that are holding holding everyone back, really, quite frankly, but but benefiting some of us and causing others, as you so well described, like to live in this space of unrested labor. And so, what I'm really appreciating, I'm saying all of this to appreciate your introduction to disrupt the idea of like tell us the bullet points on your resume, mm. right? You know, to actually invite all of us to consider what does it mean to. Invoke our ancestors who shaped us. Right. What are the contexts and conditions in which we were shaped? Right. And some of that feels so important. I think we've done some of that in you know various stuff we've done together when we're talking about our positionality and exploring where did for me where did I come from and what's the, what what shaped me. Um, so I'm I'm just appreciating right. that and in your ongoing modeling of what it's like to disrupt you know it just kind of like a way as a way of being. So um, yeah, it's really beautiful. And real quick, just would check in for myself here. I'm feeling grateful uh, to to have the opportunity to be here with you. And um, I'm feeling in my body, today has been kind of a, a, a hurried day, but shortly before getting here, I felt myself actually kind of settling and in this realization of, Oh, I'm actually getting, getting to be stepping into, um, a, kind of a favorite kind of space. This is a kind mm-hmm. of an environment where the exchanges that I get to have with you are always so enlightening. Mm-hmm. It actually soothes my nervous system. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm feeling that in my body. Um, my heart is feeling alive. I'm, I'm definitely noticing a little bit of a, a concern for Shannon. I don't know what happened. I'm guessing, you know, it's possible her power went out or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and You know, and also wanting to have her voice in this conversation because, and so we'll have to uh, make a decision at some point. It's like what we do with this, Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe it becomes a special bonus episode and we figure something else out down the road. Yeah. So I'm just really, really glad to be here with you. Um, I think, you know, what we talked about was the, you know, given the kind of the audience, there's so many things we could talk about, um, Mm -hmm. but given the audience that we're talking with, you know, we actually started to get to know each other, um, the, you, you, Shannon, myself and you, and then also Portia and um, Jenny and Dylan from Holistic Resistance, got started to get to know each other when we actually, after after taking a couple of your programs and workshops, reached out to get some consulting on mm-hmm. a project we were working on with a client in which there was a team where only one of the members uh, was a, a, a black man. And Mm -hmm. everyone else was white bodied and we were wanting to ensure that we were able to figure out how do we navigate this dynamic, you know, and we brought brought you all in and you asked us some really powerful questions, one of which we talked about earlier, which is an amazing question that I think everyone needs to wrestle with. Thought that would be kind of a good jumping off point. I know like you have some context setting to do around the questions. So why don't we start there
2: and then see where this
1: unfolds? Because this could go in lots of different directions, obviously.
2: Totally. No, first I love your podcast theme and disrupting our practice. And I think what's interesting is I always walk into an organization and I I try and give someone an assessment because they like to see an assessment. Like how racist are we? Um, And it's useful, right? To get a spectrum. It's never like you guys are number eight and you should be at like a four. But what I find is that before I get into the questions I ask and specifically the question we're speaking to, not to get too much built up around this, but context, is that when we're talking about helping white folks notice racism, I find that racism and oppression and all the isms thrive in a work environment, a school environment, a family environment where no one's asking questions. There's no questions. being mean, I said no questions. The questions that would reveal or challenge what's actually in the room. And so we have a list of questions and categories for questions. And in holistic resistance, we have you know, three categories. We have unfair questions. We're aware they're unfair. We have story questions that can take 45 minutes or take 20 minutes, but they're oftentimes a collection of questions that tell a story and, and invite you in almost to an interaction at times. And then we have a will you marry me question. I'm not going to go through all the details and explain that, but I'll just say that um, this first question that we're asking here is an unfair question. Um, <laughs> An uh, 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 unfair question helps us understand how unfair um, oppression can be and oftentimes mm-hmm. is, and depending on where we are in the, in, the, in the spectrum. And so, the question that I typically ask, and I ask this to individuals, I ask this to schools, I ask this to organizations, and usually I ask this in white controlled spaces. So, there's no people of the majority present. Typically, when I ask this question if there are, I always, I always give context of like you can be here or not, but the emotional caliber might be high because the answers that come out of this question are pretty intense. But the question I asked and ask often is what is your ideal Black person? Often i say African heritage person, or I'll say Black man, but what is your ideal person of global majority? Could be a general, kind of, kind of hold all the identities. And we use BIPOC and people global majority interchangeable here. And the gut response, right? Now we've asked this over 500 people at this point of our consulting, well over 500 people. And I would say 80% run. What, what are you talking about? Aaron, and I I love, I love all, all black people. Aaron, I love everybody. We're moving on, moving on, right? Yeah. And we look at the history of their organization, maybe over 10 years, five years, and we see this clear that certain people the low majority don't even get to consider.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's clear that some that get considered and get hired don't last more than a couple of weeks or months.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then there's actually some that do very well has mm-hmm. not to do with their resume, their skill they work on. We actually are breaking down the places where the organization, the white container has curated mm-hmm. a lane that they have mm-hmm. allocated. If the black person speaks a certain way, and I remember asking this question to a group, and I remember it was so powerful. And I remember I asked this group, I'm not going to name who they are because I want to keep confidential. They said, I said, what is your ideal black person? There were people running, money, money, And someone said,
3: mm.
2: my ideal black person is a black person I can control. Mm. Like you can hear a pin drop in that room. And that mm. opened the room up. Open another person raising their hand. I'm ready. So what's the ideal black person? The ideal black person is someone that as quickly as possible helped me forget their African heritage. Oh. As quickly as possible. A simulation, mm. you know, zero to a thousand. Like how fast, the faster they can help me forget that they're black, the more ideal they are. Mm. Right. Now Everyone else ran. there's a room of like eight people. Everyone like, no, I love I love all black people. Mm-hmm. I love, every, I don't have an ideal. Ideals, right? And finally, we got really mm-hmm. honest, stopped running. Some people said, actually, when I actually assessed my situation,
3: mm-hmm.
2: the black people I stay in contact with, Once ones I call to my dinner parties, the one I invite into my community, the ones that eat dinner at my dinner table, are the ones that help me forget as quickly as possible that they're black. Mm-hmm. And I see that that was in a in a non-corporate environment where that was going down. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to tell you something. That answer mm-hmm. has been true in almost every white-controlled corporation on some level.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or they flip to the other side. I'm gonna breathe here in a second. They flip to the other side and they go, "I love a militant, aggressive black person that makes me feel shamed and 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 like a mm-hmm. uh, guilty and never fixed." They gotta go flip flop. It's never like this. It's rarest in between. It's like Aaron. The ideal black person, when it comes in every day, like Martin Luther King's grandson, it comes in, it's like, y'all in trouble, you know what I mean? That's the one, get better, I have a dream this company will grow. That's the ideal black person, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's some of the folks who've like, gone through some, you know, workshop, they're like, I want the most, right? And usually, unfortunately, in that situation, they actually have huge limits there, too. And also, yeah. oftentimes, tracking that they're going to be punished for all their material and not actually taking that action. and mm-hmm. want the, the majority of the black person to do all the labor. But I just want to name that there's actually a massive, massive gradient in between there. And what's important mm-hmm. here for this, and I'll pause in this question, is that there's question. If we have, we have probably 400 questions we ask for a variety of different reasons. And we probably have like 20 that I would say we go into the Hall of Fame. If we could have a Hall of Fame, we don't really have a question Hall of Fame, but if there was one in our in our library, <laughs> we would go in there. It's only yeah. because yeah. of what has been able to open up in the hearts of men, what is to interrupt, what is to disrupt. And there's places that are really, really hold that question. Mm. And so I just want to name if you're in leadership in your organization, you can look around. Don't even say it to nobody. Just hear this podcast and look. kind of go through your mind and go through your organization. Go through, if you've been there for a couple of years, mm. oh, snap. I actually know what they are. It's like Obama energy language-wise, a little Denzel Washington vibe going on, but mm. not too mm. aggressive. But his sexual energy is quiet enough, and, and he's not. They can nail it. If they get really honest, most people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I have no idea. But if we stop doing that and start thinking about it, like, oh snap, there's so much here. Mm-hmm. So this unfair question is such a teacher. Mm-hmm. If we hold it in yeah. the honesty and in the context of actually where we are. Yeah. I'll breathe.
1: Mm. Yeah. Thank you. I I think Aaron, one of the things about that question is one is just speaking from somebody who received the question, right? Because I think and and I you know I think it's good. I, I appreciate that you kind of set the context of the challenge and the the unfairness of the question so that folks can be prepared for an, unfa- an unfair question, but probably, you know, it's, it's one thing to know, okay, an unfair question's coming, but then it's another thing to hear a question like that. Mm-hmm. And it's, so when as somebody who received it, I, I, I experienced it as unfair, right? I experienced it as like what, and I, I, my default was to want to go to where you talked about, right. To, of course I love everybody. Of course, you know, of course, of course. And what, but what I've come to learn about the question is that it's, it's pointing at a, a truth mm-hmm. that I don't think I, I don't think I know for absolute, with absolute certainty, I wasn't aware of, mm-hmm. which is that I have an ideal black person. Mm-hmm. Like, and that, that exists in all of us in some way. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, and, and just even saying that out loud, I can feel the contraction in myself that is the like an indicator of shame rising in me. Sure. And naming that simply is a way of normalizing the fact that there's no way around that, right? Like there's no way. And this is one of the things I love about, you know, one of the things I've gotten from working with you and your other the other folks in HR or holistic resistance is developing greater capacity to be in that that experience of the shame but but still feel connected here right like to still feel held mm-hmm. and to still feel in connection yeah and feeling your boundary like i know mm-hmm. i i actually i actually i don't think we've ever found the place but i i have i have no doubt that you're that you're um you're not a receptacle for my shame right Correct. But you you' there's a way in which this relationship has helped me be present with the the, the thing that you're pointing to and yeah. you point to it and I'm the one who has to sit with it and process it and I need other people to do that with yeah and that's like the power of being able to be in a relationship with Shannon and with others from our training you know cohort and from others from disrupting our whiteness which Shannon and I did with Jenny and Dylan and you know and others in the community so I'll stop talking here. Um, but yeah, I think this, this pointing to this sort of a truth, um, and normalizing that feels just absolutely critical. Yes. That's so real.
2: That shame piece is so real when it comes to, we don't use shame as a tool. It comes up, mm-hmm. but we don't build that to help racism leave. We we know that shame will come up as we unpack these, but we really hold connection, reaching, mm-hmm. um, slowing down mm-hmm. but we're not here to evoke i mean it's, this question brings up so much shame for a lot of people and they start to really sit with it people start answering the question in the room they go i didn't want to say that but they said it um mm-hmm. but there's not like now that you're on shame. Let me just like you know keep pounding that no what we're gonna do is now like i said like speak to what that means now what, what is now the action that's mm-hmm. being asked that's just so powerful i'm glad you bring that piece on mm-hmm. shame up because shame is such attached to a lot of anti-racism work and consulting work and and white folks even when i I'm very thoughtful about we wield the feelings around shame. There's still folks that mm-hmm. will be like, I felt shamed and I felt like you shamed me. Right. And I get I that. Mm-hmm. We know that that's not our goal. And that's not how we wield it. We don't want to use language around that. We don't want to like get really hungry and just keep pushing that button of shame. We want to name it there and go, let's hold it and put it in its proper size so we can keep thinking because shame mm-hmm. can really stop us from thinking. And we're doing this kind of mm-hmm. work. We want to keep your mind and heart moving. Keep your mind and heart moving. I remember my chiropractor used to crack my neck. She's, oh, that's good movement. It's good, oh, good, good movement in the spine. There, it's great. And I'm like, I all cry, all the way down. Her cracks, like, yes, yeah, good. That's good. When it starts locking up, that's the problem. Oh, for me, I imagine myself as like a kind of an anti-racist chiropractor. We go, you all the ripples through there. Like, oh, we're doing good. It's stiff. It's like, oh, yeah, stiff. Ain't, ain't no movement. We're in trouble. And so shame can lock you up. And so we want to mm-hmm. be able to keep keep some flexibility, keep some movement, you stay 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 your mind, keep moving, keep your heart moving. And we know that shame just years, sometimes just. Yeah. I don't see color. Ah, you know.
1: Well, I also wonder about like, you know, and just kind of connecting back to your, you know, we were talking about unrested labor, mm-hmm. right? And like as white bodied folks, we are we tend to be in spaces that where there's been kind of a clearing for us, right? Like the road's a little clearer, you know, and that not to say that we don't have work to do and we don't have like we don't put in our effort, right, to do to do our work. Like if we're in a workspace, for example, you know. But the the road's clearer, you know. And so maybe when we experience that shame and we start feeling the weight of it, and we realize, "But I've got to carry this forward," it becomes like, "Ah." But we don't have the um, we don't have the fortitude, or we haven't been conditioned into a reality that is like, if I don't carry this weight that I'm feeling around me, which is the eyes around me, I've got to show up a certain way you know, I am or am not the ideal person for this space. And therefore I'm trying to mold myself or I'm trying to, I, you know, I've code switching. I'm, you know, whatever, all of those things are, uh, that the weight of that shame feels like so much that oh, I just can't do it. I just, can't, I, and so therefore I'm not going to
3: do it mm-hmm.
1: as opposed to the recognition of like, well, maybe this is actually, this is what's mine to carry right now. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not just mine. Probably. It probably also belonged to my ancestors and to those who, you know, especially like here in, you know, here I am in Seattle, white bodied mm-hmm. man, pretty good one, right? Like I'm in liberal town. Like we're good people. Like we, we believe in equality, you know? And so maybe there hasn't been as, as it hasn't been quite as explicit, but mm-hmm. like I'm carrying something that maybe I don't want to carry and acknowledge it i don't know if i'm making sense or if i'm stepping
2: in my own (laughs) stuff but yeah no you're right on point i think there's something really painful about white folks complaining about waking up from white utopia and realizing the magnitude of what it means to notice oppression and then get tired and what's important Mm is that uh, white utopia spaces like Northwest or places where legally, you know, the government has eliminated a, a black population, so the population even today is like two percent. That you get to opt out of um, participating uh, in uh, mm-hmm. oppression because you you can you can just swim in, in, in that kind of privileged space, and that's important too. Because I think mm-hmm. that when I look at um, the burden, oftentimes I, I find that white folks specifically. Um, underestimate the emotional calorie burn it takes for people to grow majority of particularly African heritage folks, I was I say my lane, um, we don't get to opt out. Um, we can't be like, I'm tired of oppression. We don't. So we've, we've built up some stamina. And so there's a way that um, because we don't get to opt out, we have to engage. And because we have to engage, there's there certain emotional muscles, I'll call it, that we flex on a regular basis. And so like everything else, we don't want to get white folks out there. I mean, this, this 500 pounds, start with 20. Take a break, get 25, and eventually get to that space. So don't to take off too much. And we saw that a lot of happen during 2020. There are a lot of white folks that took off too much, and then they got overwhelmed, and they kind of just stopped. And So we want people mm-hmm. to put on the right pair of shoes. You hear me say a lot: like, put on your marathon shoes. Put on your marathon shoes. This is not a sprint, but mm-hmm. in the heat of the moment, and the media gets you really excited, and the marches are happening, and the, you know, you just feel like you have to, you know, don't we, we burn ourselves out energetically, emotionally, intellectually? And so, mm-hmm. in that, I just think that's so important that in this labor that we pace our hearts, minds, and activities mm-hmm. to be realistic about what our actual capacity is. Not what Facebook says it is, not what the news says it is, not what our local activist says it but what is our actual capacity and start building from there. And that's actually the safest place to build from. Cause you build from a place that's out of capacity. Oh, that's mm-hmm. dangerous. That's so dangerous mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. black folks.
1: Yeah. The, the capacity thing, and that's something I took from that very, very first workshop, um, just down the road from here. Is the that question about capacity? And so, I guess you know, in your you know, all your time of holding space for white-bodied folks, and especially like doing the facilitator training, right? Because you're you're you've done uh, four or five cohorts or that or something something yeah. along those lines, sure. you know. And with a good number of white-bodied folks, I don't think there's that many folks with my positionality, but yeah. um, necessarily. But there's been a few, you know. It's been yeah. definitely been a few. And but like, what are you, you know, as far as considering how you help white-bodied folks um, think about capacity in holding the space, and especially if it's going to be a mixed space? I think a lot of us are working in white affinity spaces or caucusing, but yeah, what are you trying to help folks see and point to? And yeah, is there is there any like I guess advice you would have? for white bodied facilitators around that
2: yeah facilitation Whew. so there's many things i could hold around facilitation but i feel like when i look at white folks that would like to facilitate on anti-racism or hold space for other white folks on that material i think there's a temptation especially if you are um, in a new room that has all kinds of different levels of of People that maybe have a 1990, 1995 version of like anti racism, but, like I don't see race, I, everyone's mm-hmm. the same. To like mm-hmm. the folks that have read all the most modern books, on the right vocabulary, and, and are already prepared to shame the person that doesn't know the updated mm-hmm. version of what racism is. And so, I think for me as a, as a facilitator, I think what's important is to our language and my language is get ahead of some trauma stories, right? Yes, there's a place that I think a lot of facilitators get to like. Here's the books. Here's the vocabulary words. Here's the things you should memorize. If you do that, you're bad, and this, and you're not bad. And They don't understand that they're already setting up a container of these are the folks in the room that are woke. These are not so woke, and these folks are quiet because they have no idea what's happening. They They have African heritage versus... People of Global Majority is new language to BIPOC. What does BIPOC mean to LGBTQ? And do I have the T and do I have the, do I have the plus? What is I? I'm so overwhelmed because I'm like 75 and I'm about to retire. I'm, 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 I'm running this company. I don't even know what these young folks are doing anymore. That kind of energy. So you have that all in the room oftentimes. Yeah. And so as a facilitator, the key thing is to slow down and go, we're not here to create some hierarchy immediately. Mm-hmm. What we're here to do is see if we can listen to each other. And I find that most facilitators underestimate the tool of listening and mm. they, they overemphasize, like I get, and, and Greg, I'm not calling you out on this at all. I really appreciate how you, how you organize your workshops, but I get Google docs on and facil- They, they them <laughs> every single minute of the workshop,
3: Yeah.
2: right. And they stick to it. They just go methodically through it methodically. Right. Yeah. And that's actually good. If you have a lot to cover on some level, but there's no place there's no place to notice because listening is not a passive activity, right? Listening is not something you can just put on a document.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Listening, is, not, listening is, is, is really a lived practice experience. If you were listening in the United States, no pun intended, if you're listening in the United States, we don't listen well in the United States. We're probably the worst yeah. listening in the entire world of not listeners. So we have a culture of not listening. So I think it's, if I was going to, say like a a basic starting foundational critical beginning point for a white facilitator any facilitator holding space and one that's been for many years and there are veterans same advice is making sure we're not missing the deep powerful practice of listening yeah and not listening when it's easy not Mm -hmm. listening when they're like oh we're aligned but really practicing the nuances of listening and how many ways in which we almost stop listening because we're ready to respond with our woke behavior back but really drop into listening and after you yes. listen, slow down what you just heard and then go again and listen again, right? And so for me, uh, when, I see, when I get those emails random, I don't do much anymore. People give me like, this, Aaron, this is my outline for the workshop. Mm-hmm. I usually say, okay, erase half of that. Yeah. <laughs> two questions. Yeah. And practice listening to every single person in that room. Well, it's 100 people and pick 10. And we all get to listen to those 10. Because I know One of the moist, warm places that bacteria grows energetically around racism is where listening is not happening. Mm. When listening is dried up and not happening, racism flourishes. Oh, my goodness. Like, it just flourishes. We talked about song that Lilia sings. She sings a song that says, lay your heart on my soul. So how close can we? It's symbolic. But it's like, if you lay my heart on your soul, I'm close. Well, how do I do that? Aaron, how do I do that? Listen. Like, practice listening. That's the entry point to dismantling all of, all of those really hard to move places. When I see things get stuck, people are like I'm mm-hmm. in mediation. We're stuck. What's the what do we do? Well, listening probably is somewhere in the that locking up neck is listening's lock that up right. Shame yeah. is the first cousin, but listening is where shame gets to go right. Yeah. So I named that listening is a, a whole dissertation itself. But I would say that if I was going to talk to a facilitator that's holding space, especially whites. I mean, I I'm, I'm, I am I am I I cry um, and I weep. When I watch Mm. white folks just attacking each other I'm explaining to them, Mm. lives are dependent upon y'all not attacking Mm. each other here.
3: Mm.
2: Lives and hearts and economics and structures are dependent upon you all being able to listen because you can't listen to white people. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing is I would spend um, a lot of time on that piece. And I know that's complicated almost a little bit ambiguous of like what do you mean by listening to like what do you mean I, I listen to my body I listen to my this and, I, and like, it's, not, it's not this is not schoolyard teaching mm-hmm. and listening this is really the, almost a spiritual practice something that you do months and months and months before even like this is something you should be mm-hmm. in your daily practice of listening you should scratch We call scratch that's our language but uh, you know intentional listening mm-hmm. in a regular on a daily basis on a daily mm-hmm. basis and so for me I just would say that before we get to the books and the films and some great books and great films and the podcasts we're on one of them, Is listen, practice Mm -hmm. that muscle of listening. Mm -hmm. And if that's Mm -hmm. in place, if that's established in your facilitation, even if you have the wrong book and if the average is not quite done yet, the vocabulary is kind of off, if the listening is being practiced and modeled and held, you can build Mm -hmm. from there. Mm -hmm. I'll breathe.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, uh, (laughs) whoo, all of that. I I just want to take that clip and just like post that as a video. Um, There's, You know, first of all, like we, we have a set for people listening. If you haven't already, episode three of this podcast is on sessioning and we actually do an example of it. And we encourage folks that we give people the model and like, we want, you know, for folks to, to be practicing this. So go ahead and go back to episode three and, and check that out. That's we You know, that's scratch counseling is what, you know, holistic resistance calls it. We've called it listening sessions in our, in our work, Shannon and I, um, we learned it from you all. Um, yeah, that's great. and, you know, and I think about what you're describing and like coming back to that idea of capacity and get, and also coming back to getting ahead of the trauma story because, you know, I, it's so much of that is, is what gets in the way, right? Is like, first of all, what, what is it that causes us to write agendas with these little teeny little bits? We, we talked about this in the last episode about how we, we went and saw Shannon and I went and saw Adrian Marie Brown talk a few years ago. And one of the things she said was like, um, "What what is the deal with f- uh, facilitators putting f- like uh, an agenda item with, for five minutes? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you know, that's stupid. Like, stop it. <laughs> and, and how like, how easy it is to fall into that trap of like, I have all this to do. So I've got to get through it, everything. And I, I, what I find myself wondering is, is when, when we actually slow ourselves down to go to check in, if that's a sign that our capacity is actually relatively low. Cause to actually do what you're describing means, well, one risking, there's going to be some silence in the room. Mm-hmm. It's going to be quiet here for a little while. And can I actually sit here and hold the silence of this group after asking a question like the one you posed earlier, right? Which may or may not be a good idea given my positionality and depending on the group. Right. Mm-hmm. And regardless what the question is, there may be some silence. Mm-hmm. and can I can I sit with that, and do I have the capacity for it, and what's my trauma story in relationship to asking a question and not being given an answer, mm-hmm. um, and what will that do for me, and what will that do for the for the group, because if I shut down, chances mm-hmm. are the group's going to feel that in some way, and then they're not going to be being held, and it's not going to be necessarily as safe an environment, I would think.
2: Mm-hmm. So real. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I'm so glad you have the episode around listening. That is profound. Mm. I hope people understand that this is probably one of the most, most important episodes. Not that we don't have gold in every episode, but like a couple of practical tools you can use. Oh, it's so boring. I don't know who it does this listening thing. It's like, oh, what is this? Uh, and I just bypassed This is American. Uh, you know, if you had, you know, five steps to turn your 401k into a million dollars in six months, it'll, what? Wait a minute. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me chuck and pay you $5,000. To do that. And then it's like listening. Oh, I don't got time for that. And that's one of right. the most single tools that open up everything else. I mean, yeah. if, if you are struggling, um, I'm going to give you a free assessment. In your organization, if you're struggling with racism, there's a listening problem happening. Mm. And in my consultation, there's a listening problem that's happening. And that episode can start the practice. Now, there's many ways to implement it, but it's going to be really real. Well, what is we have an employee who's racist. Um, he's been here for 20 years. We didn't know he was racist until yesterday. There's a listening problem right hmm. we have an employee who's upset because someone was uh, is listening right so there's a level that we talk about you know if you're you're in any kind of corporate coaching over like you know every problem's a people problem you know what i mean it's true <laughs> but i would i would step to the left of that and be like people that don't listen this is where there's a problem that's going to happen especially around these topics uh-huh. of racism and and these places that have uh sanctities. i to love that i'm so glad you have the episode that's brilliant I, hmm. I, I love 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 that you are have took in out of all the things that I teach and have taught, and I love everything I teach, but I love the fact that listening was not missed. I feel mm-hmm. like, oh, the facilitating program and the and the workshops and the and the one-on-ones were not not to not to be missed because if that's missed, I feel like we need to go back to the kind of fundamentals of oh, let's listen, keep practicing. Hmm. Mm. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. It's central. Honestly, it's I think it's the I think it's central to. To our all of our work at this point, um, regardless of the kind of work we're doing, and that's you know, and I think that's part of it, right? Is the recognition that what we're talking about here isn't separate from other kinds of consulting work that we do and other kinds of coaching work that we do. It's all it's all the same stuff, yeah. and you know, because we do culture work, you know, at, at the end of the day, and culture, it, it, we can't extricate ourselves from the Um, the dominant culture that we live in and the dominant culture that we live in is a white supremacist culture right and it's an oppressive culture and and so you know having the um having these tools i mean these tools themselves are disruptive right to just come in and say what we're going to do is you're going to talk for five minutes you're going to (laughs) listen you know that's disruptive Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I'm uh, I'm very much aware of the time and wanting to make sure that you know we respect yours. And I'm bummed out that Shannon wasn't able to join us, but she messaged me um, that it's say, saying that um, her internet went down, but that we should continue talking. So we were able to make sure to get this conversation. And I know that she was uh, she was saying earlier how much she appreciated getting the chance to connect with you. So hopefully, mm. we'll, um, be able to do that again. Um, I'm wondering, you know, as we begin to wrap up, if there's, yeah, if there's like anything that's on your heart and mind that you would want to, to be able to leave the folks who are listening to this with, um, and, uh, give them a little bit of more of that kind of a little bit more of a tease so that they'll be excited to come to some of your programs. Cause I know that 2023 is going to be a very full year for holistic resistance. So.
2: Yeah, if there's anything you would want to leave folks with. You know, I I feel old, and I'm not old in the formal sense, but I feel old when it comes to holding folks around anti-racism. Um, hmm. And I say that through just appreciating the folks that are doing this work. I don't think for granted. I started doing this work in the Obama era. I don't think anybody done anti-racism work in the Obama era. It was, it was tough. Hmm. Um, but I will say that the white folks, the people of the global majority, the folks are here that are, think about this oppression, is I would invite them to think about what it means to make it a life practice hmm. and what it means to do it with the folks near them. I remember I was talking to a, 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 a a woman, and she said, I've been arrested. I've been arrested multiple times protesting anti-racism. I donate thousands of dollars a year to Mm. all the organizations that are doing anti-racism work. And to think, to talk to my friends and my family about anti-racism, I'm good. And it wasn't that her family was so impossible, but there was some, some, and what I mean by that is that Mm -hmm. I want to respect that family has real trauma in it, but mm-hmm. there's a level that we really should attract, like what is our immediate circle of influence and how do we want to get a a lifelong, no one gets to see your work, but we all get to feel your work mm. practice, your husband, mm-hmm. your wife, your partner, your children, your parents, your, your, mm-hmm. your parent-in-laws. To build not a, I'm attacking you. Oh my God! I'm going to my child's house and talk about racism, but really build an open conversation around this and relationship around this. And I appreciate your donations, and I appreciate your marching, and I appreciate getting arrested if you have to. I appreciate that. But if we're if we're not invested in the in the community of it, in the mm-hmm. building village around it, mm-hmm. then it becomes a flashpoint. It becomes a Facebook post. I'm there. Look at me. I did it at Mercy's work. I voted yes, but And I appreciate protests and I appreciate voting. This is all great, but there's so much more village making that we need to do. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, we talk about listening practice. I would love to invite you into your own family. do we listen to each other? Mm -hmm. Do we have a listening practice? We use timers, but timers are just a starting point. We hope Mm -hmm. that we don't need timers after months and months and months of doing this. Timers are kind of training wheels. To equalize the time, but you do that for a six months with a village, you don't need the time. Right. Mm-hmm. In workshops I do it because we have usually one or two white men in the room that just can't stop talking <laughs> to people yeah. for everybody. So they won't notice that they get cut off like everyone else does. It's actually a great tool. But in real world, you can time each other for sake of recognizing, it, but in real world, we want to make sure that you have the timer in your heart that you want to listen and you mm-hmm. want to share and you want to be able to then act upon that sharing. And so I know that some people treat anti-racism practices a lot like reading about push-ups. Right? Oh, I just read about push ups. Yeah, that's great. You got use hands like this, and you, and they don't actually realize the only way to get better at push ups is to go outside and do push ups or stay inside and do push but to actually do push ups. You can read and read and read, right? But until you actually get down there and start practicing, okay, that's the good form. And I'm going to do it for 25 today, and then I'm going to do 50 tomorrow, whatever. And my narrative is that that's what people often do. They're, oh, I got the words down, but they aren't doing any actual push ups. So I just want to invite you to the, the, the push up I'm inviting is a theme of dropping into deep listening. Hearing, grieving the fact that maybe you haven't listened for the last X amount of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be what I would invite folks to sit with um, mm-hmm. as you go into your jobs, as you go into your homes, as you go into leading your organizations. Just track, huh, how are we listening?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not even uh, holding the judgment here, observation, mind, heart here.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you will find so much to be learned in that. So that's what I want to leave with y'all. Um, I will be traveling a lot to the Northwest um, if COVID pending. Um mm. and we'll be traveling mm. a lot to the East Coast this year. Actually, we're gonna hopefully the summer head to the East Coast. Those dates aren't on the table, but we're definitely gonna be uh February um in uh the Northwest. We're actually trying and this is actually almost unofficial because the venue is still waiting to get back to us, but we're actually planning a a unrested labor meditation um unrested labor meditation series in person. Mm. We're gonna have um whew. I'm gonna I'm gonna speak a little bit out of turn here, but if all all allows to happen, it'll be in Bothell, probably Bothell. I said Bothell, did they say it at Bothell, did they say it right. Yeah, yeah. Bothell. I was I get confused, Bothell or Bothell, but Bothell, right right about 20 minutes outside of Seattle. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be doing a lynching uh, lynching meditation. We have images install. We're gonna be singing. We're gonna be mm-hmm. meditation. It's probably probably one of the more intense versions of our work. But I want to invite folks to be February 18th is the date we're looking for. So that weekend of the 18th of February. And I typically don't do intense work in Black History Month. I get a lot of calls in Black History Month, but I feel like with the lynching material and the installation and unrested labor stuff, this is a, a critical thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be inviting my family, and my older brother, Travis, a lot of people don't know him. I'm inviting mm-hmm. my sister, Lily, if she can make it. She has a newborn. She's just popped out not too long ago, but she's going to try and make it up there. Um, we're going to invite some poets. It's going to be a profound silence slash sound mm-hmm. slash grief slash installation. We've never Mm -hmm. done that before. And I I say this a little early. The venue is still getting back to us. We have to move things around. But I say it only because I am reaching for you all in ways I have never reached in the Mm -hmm. history of holistic resistance, in the history of grief to action, and the history of this unrested labor that just got birthed. So I'm excited. I I know that COVID is not over. But I also Mm -hmm. know that COVID allows me. And if the world allows me, I hope to be there February 18th in Bothell and look for more information Mm -hmm. on our newsletter at holistic resistance and grief to action and... Um, maybe we could put my uh, my public phone number out there, not the one I typically use with you, Greg. But I have another public number. You could put a phone number. You could text me and go, "I have a spot. I want that to come to my space. Let me know, um, because we're still planning it right now. So if it's like, oh, Bothell may or may not work out. You're like, well, I have a venue. We want to have you work in and invite folks do this work. Well, let us know. because We're literally planning it out as we speak right now. But probably by January mm. um, 15th, we're gonna have the year kind of pretty much booked out. So we want to make sure that if you all want to do it, but let us know um, in that. So that's where we are. That's what I'm gonna leave you all with. And I'll, I'll breathe here. And Greg, so mm. much for, love for you all. And I know Shannon wanted to be here. So let's mm-hmm. do it again. Let's do it again and get you both oh. here. But just having you here it feels so precious. Thank you.
1: Yeah, th- thank you, Aaron. Yes, yes, Let's. we'll definitely have you back here in this space too. There's so many conversations to have with you. Um, and thank you for sharing all of that. You know, we'll put links in the show notes. Um, and you can send me, Aaron, you can send me that phone number. And I'll make sure it gets in the show notes for so people know that they can reach there and, um, you know, let us know what thoughts, questions come up for, you know, for you, the listener. Um, and I can always, you know, also loop them over to Aaron so that, you know, so you have a chance to, and maybe there'll be some things that we can wrestle with together, um, coming out of this. And, um, I, I, I will name, you know, we, we're, 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 we're still in working on this, but, um, we're hoping to nail, you down Aaron for um, participating in a workshop that we're going to be doing for uh, for folks and uh, out of this podcast. Um, we haven't quite nailed it down exactly um, the, the topic. I think it's, we, we were going to talk about positionality. And mm-hmm. so um, that's going to be, I think, January 9th, but more information on that coming soon, as well as some other things from Shannon and I. Yeah. Um,
2: and supporting progress, supporting
1: that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always so good to collaborate with you on stuff. So Aaron, thank you so much for your, labor and your presence and your energy and your wisdom, um, couldn't possibly, uh, thank you enough for everything that you're bringing and looking forward to, to what's
2: next. Oh, I look forward to seeing you again in person. Um, so that feels like a special gift every time, uh, I preciously hold that and all your audience that are listening. Thank you all for your attention and hopefully someday I get to meet you all and engage with you on some level.
1: Yes. Yeah. So thanks everyone. Check back to check the, the show notes, hit us up at Greg at connectionworks.com or ShannonConnectionworks.com. All the all the usual end of podcast stuff, leave a review, subscribe, forward it to people, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks a ton. Bye. Okay.
3: Woo!